You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, The Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Filmmaker Brad McDermott joins me today to discuss horror films on the Criterion Channel. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. My guest today is filmmaker Brad McDermott. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show today to continue to explore this new format and to talk about some horror films. No, thanks for having me. Let's hope we can uh, scare a few of our of your listeners. That's great. That's great. Uh, well, Brad, uh, first off, I just want to see how, how are things going for you uh, in both uh, your uh, filmmaking career and uh, everything that's going on with your film and uh, just in life in general. Sure. Um, our, our short film, uh, Polly Andrew, that I made with my partner Fred and I, um, has been doing really well in the festival circuit. We're really proud of it and really grateful uh, for everyone who's really loved it and identified with it and made them laugh. And um, so it's kind of nice because as, you know, things are starting to open up here, but during COVID festivals, we're all online only. So while we were not able to travel and see these places, uh, where it was so nice that our film at least was able to digitally travel across uh, the internet, um, and so many people got to watch it, um, in you know, in their homes, on their laptops, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. How how have you been uh, enjoying your uh, forays into the Criterion Channel over the last few months? Um, they'd be great. It's always, I mean, every month it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I keep adding things to my watch pile and I try to get ahead of myself. So I'm not always just rushing to watch the things that are leaving by the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've been doing pretty good. I have been actually able to, to dig away, um, at that watch pile. So my Blu-rays yeah. are standing there not happy at me because I haven't <laughs> been able to watch them, but I have been chipping away at least at one watch pile. So that's, that's good. good. That's good. Yeah, I, I have started to uh, uh, not not worry quite as much about the expiring and, and new titles as much as I used to and have been uh, just kind of working films into my regular rotation because uh, I realized that I wasn't getting to my Blu-rays. I wasn't getting to some of the other uh, films that I really wanted to to get to and have just been kind of, it's still a, a hearty part of my diet, but not, not quite as uh, all encompassing as it used to be. Right. <laughs> and we've, I mean, we've had the channel long enough that we've seen titles actually go and come back. So yeah. I don't yeah. think it's as much as uh, Oh my God, I have to watch this or I'll never ever get the chance to see it again for the rest of my life. It's not so much yep. that anymore. So, yeah. Well, and I try to keep a, a list of everything that's left the channel and uh, where I can find it in other places. So that I still, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. They, they do curate some really great things. So that way when it's time to revisit something, 
I, you know, I'm like, I, I work that back into the rotation and maybe I'll watch it on Canopy or I'll watch it on Amazon Prime or, uh, you know, one of the other services uh, when it comes time. But, you know, I, I'm trying to not be quite as much of a slave to the expiring titles list as I can, as I was, but I'm, I'm trying more to... Uh, watch a lot of the short films that's been what i've been doing in the mornings as i as i have my breakfast and before i start work for the day is oh, that's, uh, that's a great plan short it's uh, you yeah. know fitting in some of these short uh films and uh just kind of enjoying the uh, the variety of things i think i watched uh, a film called tongris uh, which is a documentary about a family in india that keeps a rooster as a pet that terrorizes the entire household <laughs> so uh there's some there are just some great gems that you just don't you don't realize are are there sometimes because you know they've been sitting there for two years right exactly exactly that's great well uh let's just talk just briefly about uh the the titles that came uh in october we had some really cool uh things i was i thought i was surprised to see the universal horror titles that was fantastic, yes. Uh, I, I never would have thought that Criterion would have gotten those, right? Yeah. Um, it's awesome that they did. Yeah, I mean, what better films to get, you know, uh, for the, the the month of October? And uh, I like that this is a thing. Like, last October, we had the 70s horror. This yeah. October, we have universal horror. It's it's yeah. just really great for to see them celebrate uh, a month of horror. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, and we're, we've got some really good films like, you know, there's the the home invasion. There's the the true crime, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the Jarmusch and the Kirk Douglas stuff. I mean, it's a it's again, it's another really solid month of just incredible films that, you know, uh, again, I've, I've made my piece with the fact that I'm never going to catch up with everything on the channel. <laughs> Um, you know, I do love the fact that uh, also that we're getting uh, in the women filmmakers set. We got Jennifer's Body, uh, which I think is uh, due for reappraisal. I see in the um, Facebook group as people were rewatching it this month. Uh, a lot of people were revisiting it and uh, enjoying it uh, for the most part. You know, some people really hate the film still, but it was really fun to see people kind of um, revisiting it and finding out that oh wait a minute i i did actually enjoy this more than i expected to <laughs> that's one uh, of the great things about the channel is that it yeah. is able um to still reframe uh films in a new light uh for a new generation the criterion writ large has always been doing that putting you know taking things that may have been un, uh, unfairly maligned in the past and mm-hmm. uh you know giving them a chance uh to be acclaimed so it's great yeah well was there a film that really kind of stood out to you this month that uh, out of the new releases that really uh kind of caught your eye that really um just kind of captivated you yeah um i wanted if i could talk about uh, Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. Um, yeah. This, I think, is the first time Bava has been um, on the channel. So it's exciting because I'm hoping that, uh, you know, a new generation, or not new generation, but a new group of, <laughs> of uh, Criterion lovers will get a ta- taste of uh, Bava. 
um, he was um, an, uh, in the Italian giallo film movement all the way the six through the 60s yeah. and 70s. And in some ways, he was kind of one of the uh, earliest practitioners of the giallo movement. Um, and that is Italian horror. So after sort of the Italian neorealist movement um, kind of ran its course, um, Italy was really hungry for some great genre stuff just to, you know, some great escapism. And that is when filmmakers like Mario Bava could flew, fly in along with a slew of other Italian filmmakers um, who made giallo films, but it could fly in uh, here and really satisfy that need. So Blood and Black Lace is um, about a, uh, a fashion house in Rome where a number of uh, striking um, models and designers and just the who's who of this exquisite fashion house are being knocked off one by one by a mysterious masked killer. Um, now, you've probably heard these kind of things before. Um, obviously, the 80s was you know rife, and we still make these kind of films today. But back in the 60s, this was kind of the beginning of that. And mm -hmm. Bava himself had a lot to do with originating that idea of the slasher. And so he, but what he does is he just sends this movie to like 11. It's fantastic. It's it is like a, a crazy visual kaleidoscope dreamland. Uh, Bhava was so well known for these like outrageously colored lights that he would just shine everywhere and, and make his films this beautiful uh, technicolor. I don't I don't know if it was technicolor film, but you know what I mean? Like this beautiful yeah. multicolor visual feast even if it takes place in something that seems to be, you know, ordinary or, or like takes place today or like he would just flood it with stunning visuals. And um, the the color red in this movie, you've never seen a movie show the color red as this movie has. Not even Cries and Whispers. <laughs> this movie was... Is, is just phenomenally beautiful. Um, so I, I highly recommend everyone if they to get a good taste. This is a great entry point for Mario Bava to to try it out and and see if you like it. It's uh, it's just a fantastic dreamlike vision of horror. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I watched it for the first time just recently. It had been on my my list of films to watch for my online film festival and uh, didn't quite get to it. And uh, it had been up. I keep a running list of films to to watch, and had been next up on my list just before the beginning of the month. And when I saw that it was going to be on the channel, I was like, "Oh, I'll save this so I don't have to rent it." You know, so it was really really exciting to get to see it on the channel because I I always know that Criterion uh, on the channel are gonna they're gonna take care of the the presentation. Uh, oh, definitely. You know, I especially with I feel like when you're looking at Italian Westerns, Italian horror, sometimes the presentation isn't going to be the best uh, if it's on something like Amazon or some of the other streaming services. So Criterion and Canopy tend to be my go-to for some of these, these genre films. And, uh, you know, I was just, you know, the, the opening credit sequence just blew me away. Right. I mean, yes. it's just, it's so captivating and so compelling. The the lighting and the color choices are just 
they're bold they are incredibly rich yeah yeah the the way that the 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 pools of light hide the killer in some really fascinating ways uh i mean it's 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 such a a compelling visual story even if the, the script doesn't uh and, and sometimes the performances are a little stiff yes uh, even if <laughs> even if there's there there are some of those things i think that the the visual style is really really compelling throughout and uh i know i was i was impressed by how bava is able to create Make something out of nothing really yeah yeah and create an impression yeah. of of violence without actually showing a whole lot it's it's just such a, a masterclass in the use of editing and angle and uh, the the after effect of things. A lot of times, it's 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 really it's really striking just how much uh, he gets away with just in camera placement and angles um, in and creating a, a sensation. Yeah, yeah. And he's it's, very good at uh, he very he knows when to uh keep cameras moving to create that yeah. sort of dreamlike effect that he's always striving for he knows these visuals will sell themselves yeah. he's not too concerned of, about the yeah. plot selling anything so yeah. if i can really transport you into this atmosphere into this this beautiful dreamscape yeah. that that's enough yeah it's pretty pretty impressive mm -hmm. uh, to see how how he's able to do that so yeah, I I was I was pretty impressed by that. I've seen Deep Red, and I was going to say you can you can draw a straight line from Mario Bava to Dario Argento, absolutely. Yeah, and to see to see the way this all all works in some really interesting ways. So I'm excited to kind of continue to do this. I you know I'm not always the biggest fan of the the ways that the genre kind of treats women. Women, I think yep. that I, I think that that to me is one of the things that I, I appreciate the fact that the the film attempts to address the the misogyny in it. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that this film probably does a better job than some of the others that I've seen. But I do think that you know it it, it this is something that uh, I I like in something like um, some of the more recent revisionist uh, giallos. Uh, I I really like Knife Plus Heart. Oh um, yes, I saw that you know, recently. Yeah, that you know there are some some really interesting ways that um, modern filmmakers are trying to grapple with the legacy of Giallo and the slasher film and everything. I'll also um, echo um, uh, P uh, Peter Strickland's In Fabric. Um, yeah, which yeah, is a great film. I absolutely love that calls back to Giallo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw In Fabric and Knife Plus Heart in the same week at the Seattle Film Festival a few years ago. Oh, and nice. So, you know, so to have that's a great double feature. <laughs> both of those, uh, you know, kind of swirling around in my head after having seen a few early ones. You know, there, there's something. You know, I, I like the ways that that modern filmmakers are attempting to kind of explore some of these these things here. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think I think this one is a really, you know, uh, I, I think the the ways that Giallo often wrestles with secrets and the the ways we try to keep those secrets hidden is uh, this is a great film yeah i think it was really really uh interesting to watch yeah absolutely the one that uh that stood out to me uh, this is one that john lobinger our friend uh had recommended on an episode a while ago and i think i had been avoiding it I, you know I'm, I'm not always the biggest horror fan i'm i'm 
I'm seeing more and more how much uh, horror can can do when it's used well and used mm-hmm. done well. But uh, I uh, I watched Black Christmas for the first oh, time. Oh, I and, haven't seen it yet. And uh, this is directed by Bob Clark of uh, uh, A Christmas Story fame. And it's fascinating to me to to think that the same person who directed a Christmas story also directed Black Christmas. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a gear shift. <laughs> yeah. And yet and yet there also is something there's something about the two films that that when I think about them back to back, they they actually they actually have more in common than I would have thought beyond mm-hmm. the fact that they both take place at Christmas. This really surprised me. You know, I think that the uh, the slasher genre, you know, as we were talking about with Blood and Black Lace, the slasher genre is often has often devolved into a lot of uh, the films often delight or revel in the the deaths and the uh, the the abuse of women. Yes. And something that I really appreciated about this film is that it's a film that from its very beginning is challenging and exploring the sexism within society. It's exploring the uh, the the toxic, you know, it wasn't necessarily a term in 74, but it is. Uh, exploring the toxic masculinity and the the ways that men uh, in relationships with women will uh, use uh, their emotions uh, to try to manipulate the women in their lives. It is a uh, it's a surprisingly feminist slasher film. Oh wow! And uh, so no, you know, it's a, it takes place in a sorority, right? Yeah, it takes place so. in a sorority. And, you know, in some ways, a lot like Blood and Black Lace, uh, Bob Clark does a lot with the edits. So, so much is the of the violence happens in what we don't see. It happens in, he, he knows how to cut in a way that we think we're seeing more than we actually are. So that, you know, again, learning the lessons, you know, I, I go back to Psycho mm-hmm. and the, the shower scene so that you think that you're seeing more than you're actually seeing in that right. scene. Right. Uh, and, and you know, the same thing happens in Blood and Black Lace. The same thing happens here. You think you're seeing more actual violence than you're than you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still disturbing and it still is is frightening but um the the film shows the ways in which uh when the the women of the sorority go to the police the police don't believe them at first and the police are quick to to dismiss their uh their fears and their uh their concerns about uh callers and the one of the women is involved with a, an emotionally manipulative man uh the the film tackles uh, abortion in a way that is not saying that abortion is wrong right it's mm-hmm. it's it's very much a, a a a film that is is saying that no this this young woman has the right to make a choice about what happens to her body and it shows this man who wants to control her to be ridiculous and to be uh, to be foolish. 
So it has all of these really, really surprising overtones in it. And it it works as a great thriller. It works as a really good, scary horror film. The The main heroine of the film has a lot of agency, more agency than uh, a lot of, you know, it, the the final girl trope. You know, she, right. she has agency than a lot of final girls do. There sounds like there's similar elements. Like you could draw the line from like Wes Craven's Scream from this yeah. film. Yeah, it's you see how this set uh, a lot of other films. Um, how, how this inspired a lot of other films. How a lot of other filmmakers took things from it. Um, the the house that this is all sets in. I think Bob Clark's he uses the architecture really well the house they shot is just down the street <laughs> that's fantastic um, it's across the street from the royal ontario museum oh um, that's fantastic down right here into in uh downtown toronto yeah, yeah. well it, and, and he shoots it in a way that you always know where you are which is so important for uh, a one location horror film mm-hmm. so that you you know where you are at all times but you also he also distorts it in just enough so that it keeps it kind of vertiginous at times. And uh, it's just, it's, it's really great filmmaking. And, you know, when you think about the ways in which in a Christmas story as Ralphie, uh, the, the kid, you know, is, is looking at his parents and, and looking at the world through a child's eye, the ways in which the world gets distorted and uh, things, you know, again, I can see how, uh, a filmmaker who makes this kind of a, a horror view that relies a lot on on point of view and uh, perspective could also then make a film about the way the the world is sometimes horrific and and scary for a child. Mm-hmm. I can see how that how a filmmaker could be drawn to that type of material as well. Um, but I Black Christmas is uh, it's a masterpiece of of horror. I'm oh wow really impressed. I think it's it's pitch perfect uh, for for the genre. Um, I wish that I wish that slasher films would have followed this template more and and followed on the lessons of of um, giving the the women in this the, the women in this have more character. They have more agency than so many of the others that followed. And uh, I think that filmmakers could have learned a lot had they followed this template more yeah it's a shame they didn't it's a yeah. shame that that isn't the path that uh you know the 80s and, and the 90s went except for yeah. again a few exceptions like i i think west craven's street uh, scream yeah. does um give a lot of agency to yeah. its uh female characters absolutely yeah i agree i agree yeah well those are a couple of uh, highlights for us, anyway, from uh, the Criterion Channel's new uh, new releases. But you know, as as I always like to say, the the Criterion Channel giveth and the Criterion Channel taketh away. So we we are losing a lot of uh, a lot of films, uh, and uh, you know, there's some. It doesn't feel like it's a ton. Doesn't feel like it's as bad as some months. This is true. There's. There's still, you know, some some heavy hitters here, like you know the the John Houston films. We're losing, you know, the uh, 
the films that star, star Paul Muni and we're losing uh, Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie, Gene Harlow films. I mean, there's there's a lot of little things here and there that are leaving. I think the the John Huston bundle is probably the biggest uh, the biggest thing that we're losing out of the 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 channel. Agreed. Um, but uh, you know, out of the stuff that's uh, leaving, what's something that you've you've seen that has really stood out to you, Brad? Well, um, speaking of the John Huston movies <laughs> that are leaving, um, yes. I wanted to uh, recommend um, his movie In This Our Life. This is a movie that stars Betty Davis and Olivia de Havilland as sisters of a wealthy dynasty American family. Um, and Betty Davis is a spoiled brat, and Olivia de Havilland has to uh, deal with her when Betty Davis um, hits and kills uh, someone with her car and then blames it on a black person. And Olivia de Havilland is dating um, a social justice lawyer that Mm. used to be dating Betty Davis. Um, So all of this is, this film is uh, for me, kind of a looking under the hood of America I mean, Mm. I'm gross generalizing here. You know, obviously not all of America is the same. But as far as the foundations of of the the values that were founded, especially amongst white Southern families, this is, I think, John Huston really like exposing them nakedly for the kind of frauds that they are (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and that's what i really love about this film is just how thorough houston probes investigates criticizes this family and just how privileged they are and how like they just can get away with anything and it doesn't just stop at betty davis You, you understand how she becomes the way she is based off of the generation before her and olivia de havilland and and how gross they are and their sort of their privilege and the things Mm. they don't even need to think about in their life and i think that this film is kind of ahead of its time for that these are issues that we are still all uh dealing with now um they're still there they're still you know they're still working their way in the very worst aspects of society and um i i think this film uh should be i mean i don't know much about john houston's over but i this i just was blown away when i saw this film my friend recommended it to me because he also has the channel and he's a i mean everyone's a betty davis and olivia de havilland fan but he's a big betty davis and olivia de havilland fan and he's yeah. like you have to see this film and like mm. oh wait, I mean, everybody you know if you love their work in you know all about eve and their work in the heiress like you know these two women are absolutely incredible and i love them together in hush hush sweet charlotte but mm. um i definitely definitely recommend you check this out before it disappears it did come and go and then leave before um hopefully it'll come and leave and it'll, it'll leave and come back but um if you have a chance before the end of the month check this one out yeah that sounds fantastic that sounds really uh, pretty remarkable. I really love uh, John Huston's kind of, I want to say, kind of unblinking 
yes uh, clear-eyed view of human nature yes and uh i i I think for a filmmaker to to be doing that in hollywood at the time it's uh you know it's it's pretty remarkable and to be turning his eye on on this subject uh, as well that just it sounds pretty remarkable and and he was like that as an actor too he's kind of a, a bit of a rancor both directing yeah and his performances in like Chinatown and even Orson Welles is the other side of the wind. Like he was a kind of a guy who didn't give two fucks yeah. <laughs> and yeah. his films really, he was just not afraid of ripping everything open and exposing it. Yeah, no, that sounds, uh, that sounds pretty, uh, outstanding. So yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I will, uh, just, uh, let people know that the film is if you do miss it, I mean, hopefully it will come back. Hopefully you'll be able to get to it before the end of the month. Uh, but if you have missed it, if uh, you're listening to this episode after it's left the channel, it is available on uh, to rent on VOD. So, uh, you know, you are able to catch it there as well. So, oh, perfect. Um, that is, you know, at least it is available in those places as well. That's great. I'm going to talk a little bit about the film Hooligan Sparrow uh, by uh, Nan Fu Wang. Nan Fu Wang is a filmmaker that uh, I have begun to really, really appreciate her her documentaries. This is uh, one of her early works. A few years ago, she did the film One Child Nation. Uh, and oh, this, right. year, this year she has the film With the Same Breath about the COVID crisis. And uh, she has really been capturing and exposing Chinese hypocrisy, Chinese propaganda, and the ways in which the Chinese government cracks down on dissent uh, within the country. For a a Chinese filmmaker to do that is pretty brave. Yes. (laughs) And... This film is, uh, it, it follows a, a case about children who were raped in China uh, by government officials and the protests by activists who were trying to draw attention to it. And uh, one of those activists goes by the name Hooligan Sparrow, and she's a performance artist who stages really uh, disturbing but very very blatant acts of uh, protest against the government and the government's inaction when it comes to the treatment of women in China or sometimes it's about the treatment of lower classes it's a really kind of harrowing film Nan Fu Wang uh, filmed everything with hidden cameras a lot of the time she was often harassed in making the film by people who noticed that she was filming. There is footage of her being um, kind of followed by secret police, footage of the uh, of people along the street kind of trying to stop them from filming. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds the, me of Harlan County, USA, when yeah the the strike breakers are actually harassing the filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
there's a an immediacy and an urgency to the film the fact that that she was able to craft something this compelling using such limited means is i think really a testament to her abilities as a filmmaker as an editor as a uh, storyteller it's it's really impressive i mean again everything had to be smuggled out of the country in order to uh, edit and show the film wow um, and and i think at a time when china is uh, closing off more and mm-hmm. is becoming more nationalistic you know my wife works for or worked for a chinese company uh teaching english to uh students there and just a few months ago uh received notice that china was outlawing foreign teachers for students wow. and uh china is cracking down on the film industry uh, in China. And so, you know, it makes me worry about some artists that we, you know, love, yeah. like uh, Xi Jinping and Wang I, Why, why? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen to, you know, any of these, right? Yeah. Any of these filmmakers, uh, because, uh, you know, they've been jailing uh, actors, they've been disappearing uh, actors and have scrubbing their names from the internet. Um, and so to have Nanfu Wang uh, continuing to expose a lot of this uh, and uh, Hooligan Sparrow is her first work. Uh, and there are just some incredibly moving moments as she is capturing the the work of activists and human rights lawyers trying to uh, bring this to light and uh, trying to, to work within the maddening bureaucracy of uh china's system i think it's a it's an urgent documentary that uh, i think is i think it's important for people to see especially you know again china's a superpower that uh, tries to keep a lot of this type of thing hidden from the public and so i i really applaud her for continuing to do this work absolutely it's it's it sounds very vital yeah very important yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, I will recommend, especially, you know, I, I thought one child nation was really good. Uh, but I think that, uh, in every breath or with the same breath is, uh, just, it, it moved me to tears at times. Uh, I think that that documentary about China's response to the COVID crisis, uh, was mm-hmm. just stunning. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was a brief little conversation about some things from the new and the uh, expiring titles from October that uh, stood out to Brad and I. And now we're going to talk a little bit about horror films and uh, some of the things that we look for in horror films and uh, a few recommendations on the channel uh, that uh, that uh, we think people might enjoy. So, uh Brad, before we dive into the the film recommendations, I'm just curious, are you a fan of horror films? Is that a genre that you really gravitate towards very often? Oh, yes, highly. Um I'm a, I'm a big fan of of horror. I have been since I can remember. I mean, I I'm, I'm such a fan of the grotesque of over the top cinema. I I love big visuals. Not that I, you know, I don't like you know quiet subtle movies because though there's like those are there are great versions there are great you know quiet subtle movies out there but it's just what i naturally gravitate to i think maybe because i'm a like a visual artist so Mm -hmm. um 
a lot of horror movies, particularly the best ones, have great imagery, and um, that just always that's just always clicks for me. So yeah, yeah. What are the things that really uh, kind of what are the things that you really look for in a horror film uh, that kind of elevated above the the standard fare for you? I mean, for me, my number one thing, and I always say this to everyone, is uh, sympathy for the protagonists. Mm-hmm. I feel that for some reason, I think this came into about in 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 the eighties, maybe a bit in the seventies. There seemed to be this idea that we didn't have to have sympathy for these protagonists. It was more yeah. the pleasure in us seeing them brutalized. And yeah. I think that that's misguided. Um, the only like if you think of the the most standout horror movies, the ones that everyone remembers, people cite all the time is is they're they're movies that you care about what happens to the protagonist because yeah, the horror that's happening to them only matters if we give a shit. So if we care mm-hmm. about them and their experience and what they're going through, and like that's the strongest examples whether it's the whether it's alien whether it's the exorcist like a recent horror movie i love it's a it's a few years back now but like the yeah. babadook yeah. Um, Je- jennifer kent's uh debut film i think is a great horror film one of the most terrifying films i've ever seen and it and a large part of that is because of how much sympathy you have for um is Ezie Davis I think that's her name Ezie Davis yeah Ezie yeah. Davis um yeah. and and her struggles with her son and it, it, so much of that terror comes from that family dynamic what all these films for me have in common is is sympathy for its protagonists yeah no I think that's a really really good point uh, I think there's something so often so dehumanizing about a lot of modern horror films mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I think it gets it gets so we're just looking to see the body count rack up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I find that to be really, uh, really tiresome. I uh, I think one thing that I'm always, always looking for in a horror film is. I think I'm also always looking for something that that goes deeper than just the an idea that goes deeper than just the terror mm-hmm. than than just the watching people be scared or watching people be picked off one by one or watching an entity terrify people in a house. You know, I think the Babadook is, again, is a great example of that. Uh, I saw that for the first time this this year. Oh, wow. And, it just blew me away. It's probably up there is one of my favorite modern horror films because it takes these, these ideas of grief of loss and, and the, the, the anger that you feel towards your child for surviving and all of these things, these things that you don't want to face and makes them tangible in the, mm-hmm. the horror genre and does it in such a way that is uh, really palpable. And yes, it works just fine as a scary movie if that that you can just watch on that level but there's so many layers that you can continue to explore and unpack and peel back that i think is so much more compelling Mm -hmm. than just a film about the uh, a family being terrorized by an evil entity i think this is what 
for me so often fails about all of the the James Wan Conjuring films. Yes, <laughs> um, I, I I think they're they're marvelous technical feats. They're they're visually interesting at times and they've got some great jump scares but they always make these feints towards something that could be deeper mm-hmm. they always make these these ideas that they're going to explore issues of of parenthood or trauma or loss or grief or all of these things that they kind of make these overtures towards but they never actually explore them in any meaningful way mm-hmm. and, and and that to is me, that's, that's one the, of the major failing yeah yeah Sorry, I was. That's one of the yeah. gifts of the horror genre. That's what yeah. I think makes it so important. Is I'm always talking to my friends about this, where the horror genre is able to probe and investigate, kind of like the sci-fi genre. Yeah, these, these great things that we don't like to talk about in our world, and there are releases for that, for those types of anxieties, and for those again, those things that we just don't want to mention in polite society. That's why we have horror and the great ones are the ones that are able to uh, channel that aspect of Mm -hmm. the genre. Yeah. I'm going to be very curious to see the final film in David Gordon Green's Halloween cycle. I saw the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. I saw the second one just recently and uh, I know that a lot of people don't like it and yeah, I I really liked it a lot. Oh, wow. and, uh, it worked for me. Uh, I know it didn't work for everybody and that's okay. Uh, but yeah. I, I liked the first one a lot. I thought that I the exploration the of grief and, or the exploration of trauma, trauma. and the yeah. way trauma hits mm-hmm. and then the to me the way trauma then affects an entire community mm-hmm. um, and, and, and uh, family. Mm-hmm. Not just her, but her kids. Mm-hmm. There's a daughter yeah. and granddaughter, right? That's yeah, yeah. And then in the second, in the in the Halloween Kills, it's looking at how does how does trauma affect an entire town? You know, a collective trauma that you know when when you have something that bad happen to a community, what what are the responses? You know, so so I think that there are there are these things. And and to me, you know, where we'll really see where I'll where I'll really see if if Green and his team are 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 up to the task is how he ends the this series. If if he's following through on these themes effectively. And Hopefully. and I'll be I'll be curious. Yeah. I'll be curious to see how this all works. Because uh, I'll be honest, I think that Halloween is maybe the only film by David Gordon Green I like. So uh, <laughs> I would really like to go. see him to see yeah. him land this trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I, I, I think that this is this is uh this to me is a really interesting and fertile ground for storytelling that I think gets dismissed too often by people. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it and I think, you know, again, sometimes rightly so. Yeah, there are some really bad horror films out there, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. The 90s was, like, rife for them. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, um, let's dive into our recommendations. And uh, what's the film that you want to recommend uh, people catch? The film I wanted to recommend on the channel is... One of uh, one of the you know Criterion's great ba- wealth of backlog titles that they have. So it's called The Ghost of Yatsuya, but on the channel it has another name. It's its Japanese title, Tokaido Yatsuya Kaiden. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So this film is from director 
Nobu Nakagawa, and he mm. most famously directed Jigoku, which is Japanese mm. for hell. And that yeah. that that has a, a DVD release. We're waiting on a Blu-ray for that one. And it's a spectacular film if you haven't seen it. Um, and this one um, is also very similar. And I don't know that so many of your listeners might know that he has another horror film um, on the channel. Um, if you've seen uh, Jigoku, you know that the first half of it is sort of this melodrama that is kind of like a ticking clock until the second half of it, which is this like crazy gonzo uh, supernatural version of hell. And the same is true with this film, The Ghost of mm-hmm. Yatsuya, where the first half is this sort of samurai melodrama um, taking place in feudal Japan about a ronin who's a pretty nefarious character and his underling trying to to marry this woman that he likes, the father won't approve of, approve of and, uh, you know, murderous mayhem ensues and in the second half of the film it really launches itself into um you know the 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 ancient uh japanese sort of tale of the disturbed ghost um Mm. we saw this in uh kobayashi's kwaidan um even in recent horror films like the grudge that this uh, the ring uh the horror film the ring this idea of a vengeful ghost with long hair (laughs) Um, and those kind of ideas uh, return in the second half. But again, it's not just that it's, it's kind of like Jigoku where it's, it's intentionally artificial looking sets, like the theatricality of uh, Japanese plays of, of no and Kabuki theater. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Where the intention to bring that artificiality into cinema again comes here. So you have a lot of great dreamscapes in the second half of this with uh, bodies being nailed to shutters, showing up in in, in bogs and swamp lands. Uh, there's a lot of snakes in this film. So like I'm I have a terrible phobia of snakes. So trigger <laughs> warning if you don't like snakes. Um, there are lots of snakes in this film. But hey, that makes it scarier for me. So yep. there you go. It's very short, too. So if you love short movies, this is also a plus. Um, but it's a, if you want something really quick that you've never seen before and if you're, you're a fan of Japanese horror and you feel that you've like seen all of the like more standout entries in the, in the genre, you might have missed this one. So have a look. It's really great. Yeah, this is one that I've been meaning to catch. Uh, I've seen Kinoshita's version of this story. Oh, that's right. He did one, too. It's a well-known Japanese folktale. And, you know, it's it's interesting because his version is very grounded. Uh, You don't know whether the ghost is real or just his guilt haunting him. And, you know, it's it's I think his version is like three hours long. yes two parts broken into two two parts parts. yeah Yeah. um but yeah i you know i i'd forgotten that 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 he had directed uh jigoku um and uh the sounds fantastic again i love these it's so easy to forget how many back catalog titles there are that are just really fantastic and they're well, just crying out for someone to sort of shine a spotlight on them. Yeah, and they may yeah. never get a release, right? They I may know, never get so a sad. disc release. I'd love this one to have a Blu-ray. I'm hoping yeah. if they, if they bring if they bring Jidoku out on Blu-ray, maybe they'll revisit this one. Yeah, that'll yeah. be a double feature. 
that would be great. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, this, I, I like the way you discussed that kind of the first half of melodrama, the second half, the horror film. And yeah. that to me just sounds, uh, like a really great, again, spooky, spooky film for the, the, the season. So, yes, yeah, absolutely. my recommendation goes, uh, in the silly direction. Yay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I've been watching a lot of the, the more traditional horror, uh, although with my wife, we've been watching a lot of kinder trauma films uh, with things like something wicked this way comes. And oh, nice. Some of the, the, the creepier Disney films from our mm-hmm. childhood and things like that. But the film that I'm going to recommend uh, on the channel is the ghost goes West directed by Rene Claire. And uh, this was actually his first English language film. You know, this has a fantastic cast. It's got Robert Donnant and Gene Parker and Eugene Pallet. And I mean, again, Eugene Pallet is always a delight in everything that he's in. This is the story of a, a Scottish man who doesn't really want to go off to war. He wants to spend all of his time kissing the the women of his estate and his father sends him off to to war though and he ends up getting killed and and dying in a exploding barrel of gunpowder i believe and uh it's it's more of a uh an accident than anything he his ghost ends up haunting his castle until uh, a member of his clan can restore honor to his family by uh, by proving that his family is more brave than the the rival clan. So it's it's rife, you know, stuff for a comedy. So that was, you know, 200 years ago. And then 200 years later, uh, a young woman comes to the castle and it's all falling apart. But she decides she wants to buy the castle, gets her uh, father to Eugene Pallet to buy it and uh, his descendant played by Robert Donnett, uh, decides to sell it to to the family. They are going to move the the castle stone by stone to, to America, where the father is going to reassemble it in Florida. And uh, the the ghost and the the owner of the castle are played by the the same actor. And Peggy, who is the the woman who really wanted to buy the castle, she keeps running into the ghost thinking it's the the descendant and there are you know comedies of errors where the ghost keeps making passes at her and delightful mishaps occur <laughs> um, you know as the, they the, want to do <laughs> yes yes you know it's it's slight it's silly it's it's funny there are some fun things involving hauntings uh the descendant and the ghost have to team up to try to find a way to break the curse that the ghost can be free the the descendant has to educate the ghost on the fact that uh times have changed when it comes to gender politics um (laughs) you know things like that and and i also do there's some some really delightful a delightful kind of gentle critique at uh the ways in which americans like to acquire other cultures 
artifacts and mm -hmm. uh, traditions as their own. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the father has brought in all of his servants and had them all, has them all wearing kilts and has them all, you know, kind of dressing in traditional Scottish garb and tries to get bagpipe players in as they're, they've reassembled the castle. And it, you see this kind of blustering American businessman trying to take on the heirs of a Scottish lord. And it's it's delightful and funny and silly. You know, some fun comedy of errors bits. Again, it's one of those, like, you know, when you're looking for classics of Hollywood, a lot of times I think you, you over, we can overlook these kind of little gems that are a little slider. And, uh, this one's, I think a lot of fun. I think this one's, uh, a real, a real charmer. It sounds nice. If you've been, if you've been watching scary movies one after another and you still want to like stay, you know, in the horror, in the horror, uh, sorry, the supernatural yeah. realm, not yeah. the horror. <laughs> yeah. This would be yeah. nice to sort of break it up. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this this pairs nicely with stuff like I Married a Witch, which was one other of the Renee Claire films. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not necessarily you know it's, it's something to watch maybe with the kids who are willing to tolerate black and white films. You know, it's silly, but I think it's 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 delightful. Yeah, yeah, this is a sounds film. like it. Yeah, uh, well, those are our recommendations for horror or spooky films on the channel. You know, I I do also you know re recognize that we don't only limit our viewing to things that are on the channel we we watch things on other streaming services so brad is there anything on another streaming service that you would recommend horror wise that you think people should check out since it's october it's the month of horror there's really only one other streaming service <laughs> to go to and i think yeah. it's been on both of our minds and that is uh shutter which yep. is the yep. streaming service that's exclusively for horror cinema. And, you know, I I, I recently got Shudder because uh, I noticed that they have just had this glut of films that I've been meaning to see. And, you know, yeah. they keep listing as being on Shudder and being on Shudder. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I better get Shudder because it's a lot easier for me to just all watch them at this one-stop shop. So um, what I wanted to recommend, actually... You know, I talked about Blood and Black Lace, the beginning of the show, and Mario Bava. And if you like what you see, um, head on over to Shudder, because they have a whole Mario Bava collection. Lots of his great films, mm. and you really can't go wrong with this. Mm. And I would just like to highlight a few of them, if I can run through them real quick. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Black Sunday is his uh, black and white film with Barbara Steele. I believe it's his first feature. I'm not 100% on that. But it is some grand gothic horror, uh, if you love that kind of stuff. You know, 1800s, uh, that sort of Poe feel of you know uh bram stoker feel of that era this is a great film all of the crazy gothic imagery in black and white that you can conceive in your head is just here on screen for you and it is absolutely gorgeous if you want that kind of stuff in technicolor much like uh the technicolor uh beautiful bright beautiful colors of blood and black lace his film kill baby kill is also fantastic um and is a super influence on filmmakers like Lynch, Scorsese, on Fellini, just another gorgeous bright colors 
that could not possibly exist in an 1800s gothic mystery, but here they are. So drink them in. <laughs> um, he has uh, his anthology film called Black Sabbath, which uh, is three shorts, and the third one stars Boris Karloff, and it's a really, really solid film. I highly recommend that one. And uh, one that I really liked, actually, is is uh, A Bay of Blood, which is, mm. again, going back to this this like the progenitors of the slasher genre um and we talked earlier about not liking protagonists and how slasher genre films can kind of get bogged down by by abandoning sympathy for protagonists this film does that with a purpose actually so this film is about the the titular property a bay that's old by owned by a great matriarch who is offed at the beginning of the film and her descendants and hangers on and all of these people sort of swarmed the property to claim ownership for it. So, and I, and I think for, I feel that this film is a fantastic satire on mm. uh, generational conflict and mm. how greed capitalism kind of muddles it all up. And it has mm. a, a, it's last shot uh, for me is one for the ages and I think really like puts the cherry on this sort of pitch black satire so I, ha- I definitely recommend you hop over to Shudder and check these films out that's great that's great I mean Shudder has just such a wealth of films uh, that you know you can you can run the gamut from the the classics and uh, I'm glad they have so much great Italian especially as mm-hmm. I've been trying to kind of dig into some more of that. Um, Absolutely. That's great. They've got the Mario Bava stuff. That's fantastic. That's good stuff. I'm going to recommend, you know, I've, I've been trying to watch more horror uh, written and directed by women uh, over the last few years, trying to, especially, you know, with, you know, so much in uh, the eighties, especially was so deeply misisogynistic. I've been Absolutely. trying to see, you know, well, what are what are the are, responses to that? Yeah, thing? yeah. How are yeah. how are women taking taking the genre and trying to respond to it and uh, trying to to use it in different ways? And uh, one that really stood out to me this year was uh, a film called Lucky, and uh, it was uh, directed by Natasha Kermani, and it was written by Brea Grant, who also stars in it. And uh, the the film's about a self-help book author who uh, she comes home from a reading one day and everything start, suddenly starts to feel maybe a little off. The, the conversation with her husband feels a little more stilted and maybe a little more uh, awkward. And suddenly there's a masked man in their yard and he has a knife and she wakes up her husband and her husband says, Oh, he's in, he's here. Okay. Well, you know, he comes to try to kill us every night. Let's uh, let's, let's get ready for it. And it's as if this is a normal occurrence and they, they stop him. They, they hit him over the head or she, she hits him over the head with the bat. Uh, Her husband was knocked unconscious and, uh, when she turns around, the, the the killer is gone. When the police come back, come to check it out, they take her statements. The husband, instead of being concerned about how she's doing, is upset that she didn't come to check on him. And the killer comes back every night. They 
kill him. They do whatever they can, but no matter what, the killer comes back every night. The response of the police, the response of the husband, the response of everyone in society seems to be really strange and really odd. Begins to get more and more surreal, more and more strange. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And uh, there's this kind of almost off-kilter delivery from all of the supporting cast members that when I first started watching, I was like, okay, it's, you know, it's a low budget film. It's fine. You know, this is, this is what I'm, what I'm expecting. But as I, as it went on, I started kind of to look at, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is highlighting the ways in which our society, the ways in which men especially will minimize or dismiss women's experiences of harassment and mm, uh, okay. violence and other things in the way this is a, a thing that just keeps happening over and over again. And it becomes this really fascinating exploration of trauma, of the ways that it's so difficult to escape from that, um, the ways that men, uh, the ways that partners, the ways that uh, other people try to make it all about them and their experience of what women are experiencing it's not a perfect film by any means i think this but i think that it shows real promise in this writing directing team as they're exploring again as we were talking about how do you how do you try to represent an experience in a different way and Mm -hmm. use horror as the language to do that and so it was one that really stood out to me um uh, really, it really surprised me. Uh, I went into this one kind of not expecting a whole lot and I was captivated from beginning to end. It's nice and short too. I think it's, you know, a little over an hour. Oh, so that's those good. Are, I like short films. <laughs> I know those are, those are always really nice, right? Those yes. are always ones that they, they never really overstay their welcome. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you can always it, find time to watch them. Yeah. 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 So this was one that, that, Again, you know, for for a filmmaking team that is beginning to kind of find their footing and beginning to learn what they want to do with this, it really it really kind of I I find a I find a lot of uh, a lot to to really love about this. So I'll be excited to see them as they continue to play, and hopefully they'll continue to play with the genre because I think they have a awesome. lot of a lot of really interesting ideas. That if they continue to do this, I think they'll they'll continue to really make some great films. And I added it, it to my watch pile. So yeah, yeah. And I think I go back a, strong, a strong first first film. So, yep. you know, it's it's uh, you know, this is a great a great beginning beginning place. So, yeah, this Exciting. was fun. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. I always Thanks enjoy getting me. to talk to you. And uh, uh, it's nice to talk to somebody who has uh, such really great insights into the horror genre. So thanks. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This is always fun. And um, it's so great to uh, have a platform for me to, you know, give some recommendations and some insights into what I've been seeing. So thanks so much. Yeah, this has been this has been really fun. Well, where can people find you online? Uh, you can probably find my uh, reviews on Letterboxd at Mr. Brad McDee. Um, you can also find me on Instagram there at at Mr. Brad McD. I mostly post about uh, my film and artwork on my Instagram. Um, and besides that, um, I'm in the, you know, the, the Criterion Facebook groups, Criterion Now. And yeah, you can find me there. Cool. Thanks. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. It has. It has. Thanks yeah. so much. Great. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, cinemacocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at criterionchannelsurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to thank this month's new Patreon supporter, Joan Bowen. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And I'd like to thank all of our continuing supporters. It really does mean so much that you continue to support the show. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, my guest and I will sit down to discuss film noir on the channel. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.